Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. So, so thankful to be together in God's Word. It seems like, we, for me anyway, we just started Acts, but here we are. We're coming, to the, we're coming to the close. Here we are in Acts chapter 28. And uh, man, we're going to be, uh, this will be, be tough for me. I, think, I actually think that within uh, three sermons, we'll, we'll close this sucker out. It might actually be two. We'll see what happens next week in my study, but... We will, we will uh, be coming up pretty closely here on the end of Acts, and we're going to spend uh, a few weeks studying the principles that, that govern uh, our church from God's Word. And so we're going to do a nine principles uh, study, and then we'll come into the new year and we'll jump into 1 Corinthians, and that's where we'll be. So, yeah, praise God. Um, so we were talking about wind in Acts chapter 27. Today we're going to be talking about being a window being a window. And so today's sermon is called, uh, We Are a Window of His Power. And, uh, and that's what we're going to learn from Paul's life today. And so in this sermon, we're going to be asking the question, am I concerned with God using me to display His power and His will? Is that something that I'm concerned with? There are a lot of warring agendas in Christianity today. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, but I don't think that, that, that Christ's church looks the way that it's supposed to. And uh, it's often disappointing to see the ways in which our own church doesn't stack up to the expectations of the Father. But as we look upon the broader church, uh, it becomes glaringly obvious that not everyone is concerned with displaying the power and the will of God. And uh, man, I, I don't know about you, I'm often tempted to usurp or to steal away God's glory. Uh, you know, even in you know, simple things like when we uh, have an opportunity to witness the gospel to another person, we find ourselves walking away from those situ situations, patting ourselves on the back saying, well done, look at what I did today. We're always tempted to think that way. We're always tempted to steal the glory that belongs to God and put it upon ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. We're just prone to that. That's what the flesh does. And most of us, most of us, if we're honest, have made ourselves the center of our Christianity, not Christ. And in this way, we are an impediment, an obstacle to God's glory, and the outcome of that is always that we will be a millstone upon the necks of the people that we minister to. That is always the outcome. That is always the danger. That is not how it's supposed to be. God has built us and made us in such a way that we might exemplify his glory in everything we do, in the actions that we have and the words that we speak, that we might display who he is. As we read our story today, we're going to discover that despite the fact that Paul's situation has only gotten progressively worse, he still finds himself yielding to the Lord, and he becomes a window of the power of God, a living testimony of the majesty of Jesus Christ. 
And so where we're at in our story in Acts chapter 28, as we begin here, we find a shipwrecked Paul, along with 275 other passengers, soldiers and merchants and and seamen, sailors. And one of the things that we're going to note today is how non-concerned Paul is with his circumstances and how despite the situation that he faces, I mean, today's situation is is a real bizarre one, right? It's like insult to injury, all right? And despite his situation, he is at complete ease, complete peace, and able to just look like Jesus and point to Jesus and say all of this to the glory of God, everything that you see. And you know what, man? I know that there's people in this room. I mean, I had a hard week this week, okay? And I... I'm just hearing testimony of other ministers who had just a really hard week. I don't know what that's about. It usually happens in a wave. All of us tend to experience the same difficulties, different situations, but difficulties at the same time, those temptations, those trials. And I had a a tough week, and I know for a fact that a lot of you had a rough week. And it's in those seasons, in those moments, that Satan is tempting us to look at us. And at the exact same moment, Jesus Christ is saying, will you display who I am? Will you magnify my name despite your circumstances? And so we're going to see again, once again, Paul, an example to us of how we ought to be. We're going to see that today. So let's pray and let's get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for acts. And um, man, I've, I've said this to you before, but I want to say it again with my brothers and sisters. Lord, I don't know if there has ever been a study in my, in my adult life uh, that has impacted me the way that studying Acts has impacted me. And um, I mean, I, you know, I, I wanted to study this book because, Lord, I, I believe that you were telling me, look, what, your ministry needs to look like what we're seeing in Acts. There, there needs to be a zeal. Uh, your life needs to display uh, the, the fervency at which the, the apostles lived, the, that, that fearlessness. That's, that's how I want Kaya to look, and that's how I want your life to look. And I believe that's what you said, and, and I believe that we've been faithful in the way that we know how. And, and so, Lord, as we come to Acts chapter 28, I pray that you would not let up now. And that you would continue to show us in all the ways that this book applies to our life and calls us to a fiery Christianity. Lord, I want to to look the way Christ looks, and I want to display who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to do that today from Acts chapter 28. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Acts 28, verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Okay? That's this tiny island. I believe there's a map. Is there a map in there? Okay, there we go. It's very, very tiny. Tiny. Okay? Looks like a seed, doesn't it? Looks like a sesame seed up there. Okay? And God, in his providence, guided this ship, okay, in the faith of all of the men aboard, all right, determined to obey uh, the exact promises of God, Okay, they set out, 
They set the sails. They decide, you know what? We're going to face this thing. We, the, the Lord told us that we we're going to make it. And so we're going to be determined to, to obey him in every way we can. And then he delivers them to this island. And everything is lost, right? The ship is lost. Every, all the cargo is lost to the sea. And then they barely make it. They barely make it. And here they are washed up on, onto this island. And the barbarous people showed us no kind, a, a little kindness. In other words, they were, they were above and beyond in their, in their hospitality towards us. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. All right, so here we have these island people. It says that they were, that refers to them here as the barbarous people. Now, a lot of times we use the word barbarian in our, in our current vernacular to mean uh, like people that are kind of backwards, uh, rural, primitive people, right? That's how we often use that term, but that's not what it means at all, okay? This term itself uh, is how the Grecians uh, referred to people who didn't speak Greek, Okay, and so uh, something similar to that would be like how the Jews often referred to people who were not Jewish as Gentile, right? They would use that terminology to describe another people group that were unlike them, but it wasn't intended to be derogatory. They referred to these people as barbarous, and that just means that they weren't, they weren't originally Greek in their descendancy, and that they don't speak Greek on this island. Now, these people are being incredibly hospitable. You can imagine this small island, 276 people wash up on the shore. That's a pretty phenomenal situation. Remember, we've talked about how this is fall. It's cold outside. It's raining. And these guys are soaking wet. And so they build them a fire and they take care of them. Verse 3. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I don't know. How do y'all feel about snakes? Last time I saw a snake, we were at the, the fall retreat. And I, I had to play it real cool because I saw a copperhead. Okay, we were on the trail. We were walking. Abigail was walking in front of me. And I didn't want to alarm her. So I was just like, oh, there's a snake. Okay. Right? When what I was saying inside of me was like, dear Heavenly Father. <laughs> Deliver me. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not a big fan of snakes. Uh, but, but this was a viper. It came out of the heat. So as he's gathering these sticks together, he's going to lay them on the fire. And in the brush, there was a snake. And it jumped out and got him. Got him. And it fastened on his hand. Okay? That imagery, right, fastened on his hand. It latched on, which I believe that's what snakes do. I've never been bit by a snake but that sounds, that sounds par for the course for a snake. So it fastened onto his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, <laughs> whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when, they, uh, when he showed, uh, when he should have swollen, uh, uh, rather, or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay? So you can imagine, they're like, okay, this dude is shipwrecked. All right? And then he gets bit by a viper? That's bad karma right there. This dude must be a murderer. This, he must be the worst sort. 
okay? If this is how bad his life is playing out, it's like the gods have just got it in for him. And there's, this guy is, you know, he deserves to die. But then they stand there for a while. because Okay, so you can imagine Paul for a second. He's got this snake on his hand, okay? I would be screaming in falsetto, okay? You know that Chris Tucker scream? You know who that is from Friday? You guys know that? Oh, I'm too old, aren't I? Man, my references just don't work. I've hit that age. Chris Tucker, are you with me? Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So he's got this snake on his hand, and he just, like, shakes it off like it's no thing. And everybody's watching, uh, standing around watching him, expecting him to keel over and die. And he's just by the fire, right, warming his hands, and he's, he's fine. So they think he's a god, and... And I don't know if you remember this, but in Acts chapter 14, some people thought that Paul was a god because of how God used him, how, how miraculous his works were uh, in their midst. And they, they thought he was a god. Now, what was his response to that? His response was to immediately correct them. Now, so while our story uh, does not tell us that Paul did that, we can only assume that, god, that, that Paul would not allow or permit these people to just assume that he's some sort of Greek god here manifest. All right, uh, but that he was just a man, and that God was at work, and and so much so. Okay, that's reflected in this next section because Paul does everything he can to continue to exemplify the power of God in his life in order to point to Jesus Christ. Look at verse seven. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius. Okay, odd name. Who received us? And so he's a big deal on the island, right? He's a chief man there on the island who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a, a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors and when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Okay, so what's happening here? All right, so he heals Publius' father, and then they start bringing all the sick of the island to Paul in order to have them healed. And they love Paul. They love Paul so much that they provide these men with a ship, okay? And they make sure that they have all of the things that they need in order to get them to Rome. And, and, and this ship says that you don't need to make too much of the fact that the sign on the ship was Castor and Pollux. Uh, Castor and Pollux uh, are Greek gods, okay? Their sign is Gemini, right? And so uh, we know that astrology and false gods are nothing. They're nothing, but it was often common during this time period to have a sign on the ship to signify. It's like a brand. It wouldn't be any different than like Goodyear uses the Mercury sign, right, uh, to signify their brand. And so there's a brand on the ship. Now, verse 12, in landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day in the south, uh, after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to uh, Putil. Putil. This is really challenging me. Putil. Nah. And where we found, 
I, you know, you sit and you listen to that guy on Blue Letter Bible over and over again, and you think, oh, I got it. I got it. I got the pronunciation. And you just don't. <laughs> Where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us uh, as far as uh, Api Forum and, three, and the three taverns. Okay, so there's, a, there's this... These three taverns that are about 52 miles outside of Rome, and these were a landmark to show them that they were headed the right direction, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Okay, so there's our story for the, for the day. Now, we're going to look at this, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to start by talking about the purpose of signs. I think this is an important thing for us to talk about. We've talked about this before in times past, especially at the beginning of Acts, but what are these sign gifts and why sign gifts? All right? This is a pretty weird situation. Okay, this dude gets bit, bit by a snake, he's unaffected, and then he goes and he heals all these people. This sounds a little bit different than the Christian experience that I'm familiar with. All right, I know that there's hill people that still handle snakes, but that's not, that's not common in Christianity. And I would say that look at the record, most of those men eventually end up dead. Okay, it's not a good idea to handle snakes. I, I saved that work for the apostles of the first century. So, he, um, we see Paul doing these strange and, and unique gifts, and, uh, and he's got these special powers, and they function as a sign to everyone around who, God, who, who Paul serves, what God Paul serves, and the power of that God. Now, I want to remind you that this is a very unique time in the church, and that Paul is a very unique person. And God has very clearly set Paul aside as an apostle of the early church. And with that apostleship, and within this transitionary time frame of the early church, he bestowed upon him, as well as other men, supernatural abilities and, and, and exceptional protection over their lives. Okay? And I think this is very important for us to understand, understand this fully. Why, how, why God did this? how God did this, and why we can know that he's not doing it today. So why did God do that? Okay, well, he did it as a sign to the Jewish people that Jesus Christ had come to save them and to legitimize the message that he had given the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find out that there was a certain doctrine that the apostles carried, okay? They learned it from Jesus Christ himself. It's, it's a, the doctrine of the kingdom of God. It's the doctrine of the gospel message. It's the doctrine of salvation. This is the message that these men carried with them everywhere that they went. And so they live in a time frame where that message was not going to be easily accepted among the Jewish people. They weren't going to just take them at face value. And the Bible speaks of this concept that the Jews required a sign. They required some sort of signifier, some sort of work that would display to them that the message that they carried was actually legitimate. Now, Paul explains this uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians in, in chapter 12, verse 11. It says, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest of apostles, though I be nothing. So let's pause there for a second and explain what he's talking about. 
he's saying that when he came before the Corinthians, okay, that he was not lacking in any way among the apostles. In other words, he is recognizing that there's a group of men referred to as the apostles, and they had unique gifts and unique powers, and they were set aside by God. And he's telling the Corinthians, he's reminding them, look, I don't fall behind in any way among the chiefest of the apostles. He's not trying to be braggadocious here. He's trying to explain to them the facts that God is using him in a particular way, and that's evidenced as follows. Verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And so he says, don't take my word for it. In fact, you don't need to take anyone's word for it. Look at the evidence of the signs that I've been used to perform and then ask yourself, who, who am I? What makes me unique? Am I not an apostle? Okay, so, so listen, it's really important for us to recognize that an apostle is someone who lived and walked with Jesus Christ. Okay, Scripture is very clear about that, that this is a unique title. There are not apostles today. That apostle is a title and a, and a position that is, is set aside for unique men who experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who witnessed those things and was bestowed upon them special gifts that they might go out and, and spread what's called the apostle's doctrine and explain to the world, de declare to the world, to be a window to the world, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to set you free. And that's their job. That's what they did. And God said he would do this. This is no surprise. In, in, in Mark chapter 16, 16, Jesus says that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them. So this is the context of salvation, right? Jesus is talking about salvation. And the sign to people of that salvation, the, the fact that it had come, is the following. And these signs shall, shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any, any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So this is very unique. Okay, this is a very unique gifting, and Jesus talked about it. And he made it very plain that this was, ha this, this was going to happen. Okay? In Hebrews, uh, you know, so let's talk about the purpose here. Okay, let's talk about the purpose. Why? Why? Let's talk about that and make it a little bit clearer. Here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of the evidence through the, the gifts of the apostles, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was what? Was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness. Okay, we're talking about a testimony, about a witness, about a signifier both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So these men were given special gifts for special times because there was no completed word of God at that time. They didn't have what we have, okay? Right? I mean, we know that. Just use your logic. Obviously, they did not have a completed Bible because when all of these things were happening in Acts, first of all, it hadn't been canonized Certainly, but, but a lot of the letters hadn't even been written, right? They hadn't been codified. People didn't have them. People didn't have them at their disposal. And so the signs were necessary to point to the truth because the truth itself had not been completed. 
And so the people needed it. They needed the sign. It was critical. And I want to say to you the, the, that this, this, cannot, this cannot be replicated. This cannot be replicated today. And I want to take a moment to remind you that as church-age believers, we are not given these same gifts, these gifts of healing, power over serpents and poison, the gift of speaking foreign languages supernaturally, because that's what tongues is, you know, okay? The gift of tongues is speaking a foreign language supernaturally. We don't have these gifts And we live in a world today that has a completed word of God. And our responsibility is to circulate the gospel message through preaching the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 22. And so those gifts, they're unnecessary for the church age. We have everything we need. But shamefully, there are many people in the church today. And I want to say this with great humility because I recognize that there are a lot of people who do this with very genuine hearts. But today we're talking about being a window to the power of God. And so I say this with with great humility, but I want you to understand it's my responsibility to teach. That's that's my job. I'm the pastor of this ministry, and here I am teaching, and I want to make sure that I'm playing. Shamefully, there are many people in the church today who are more concerned with replicating cheap parlor tricks than they are with manifesting the real power of Jesus Christ. And I want to say this, and I want to say it very clearly. God is not in the magic business. He's in the manifestation business. He's in the revelation business. He's in the message business. He's in the ambassador business. He wants to make sure that a message comes to every lost person. That's what he's doing in the world today. He has a mission. I mean, what else have we been talking about if we have not been talking about missions through the entirety of the book of Acts? God has a mission. And I want to point out to you that in all this time and in all the stories that we've told from Acts, we have to be careful to remind ourselves that if we're so fixated on the things that, we're, that they're doing historically in this book and we try to, to work about and conjure up and replicate what we see here, we are very likely... To stand in the way, an obstacle to people of what's actually happening in terms of the power and the will of God. We can be that impediment. We can work so hard to perform and to create an experience that feels spiritual and to, and to, to, to manifest in our lives or conjure up some sort of mysticism. We're so anxious to do that. But I want to tell you, in today's age, when we do that, we very often make ourselves the center of what's going on. And we put, we put Jesus Christ himself on the back burner. It's critical that we know that. We've got to understand it doctrinally, but we also, also have to understand the outcomes. See, God wants to use us to manifest his power. But he does that through preaching. That's that's what the church age is about, this parenthetical age called the church age. And we're going to see this when we come to the end of Acts chapter 28. Okay, when we come to the close of Acts, 
what we're going to see is that, that Jesus Christ makes it super clear. Okay, now that the Jews have refused the gospel message, I am going to put all my attention on the Gentile people. And if the sign was for the Jews, then wisdom and, and, and logic and reason and knowledge is for the Greeks. And so we have to win them through the power of preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And we as believers ought to pray, fellowship, and live expecting that God wants to use us to reveal his son every day and to every one. Yes. And that leads us to key point one. The call on your life. The call on your life. The call on our lives as New Testament Christians is not to imitate what we see happening in Acts. But to be a signifier ourselves of the truth of who Christ Jesus is. We are a window. We are the window by which people, they come and they muse on the beauty of Jesus Christ that lives within us. But if we distract ourselves, we become self-centered, and we think our Christianity is about us, about what we can get, and if we come here to be consumers rather than servants, then we are in danger of drawing the blinds and shutting the curtains and closing the windows on what God wants to do in our lives. Saints, that ought not be. We must live lives under the assumption that we hold the grave responsibility to be a window to the reality of God's power. And so the question for you is this, are you ready for that responsibility? Are you ready for that? Because it's a big responsibility. You know, Paul didn't know that a snake was going to jump out and bite him. Right? He was, he was probably as surprised as we would be. But the fact that God protected him and revealed himself through the circumstances did not surprise him. He was anticipating it because this is the way that he lived. He knew that every trial and every circumstance and every aspect of his life was intended to display the glory of God. And whether it be in death or whether it be in life or whether it be in shipwreck or whether it be in, in blessing and whether it be warming himself by a fire or being bit by a snake, every opportunity is, is just his responsibility to be a window to Jesus Christ. Every opportunity and he wasn't surprised, and we, not, we ought not be surprised either. But many of us act surprised by the fact that God wants to use us or that he has responsibility for us, or that our lives are supposed to display his glory, or that we're supposed to preach the gospel. That comes as a surprise to us when there's an open door in our life and we suddenly find ourselves in a situation where we're supposed to preach. We're surprised by that? Well, we act that way, don't we? We act surprised. And so what happens when we act surprised, a lot of times we cower 
and we receive back. And we don't take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us because we act surprised. Oh, whoa, didn't expect that. (laughs) Okay. And then we leave. We walk away. And we waste responsibility every day to be a display of who God is. It's because we're self-centered. I'm self-centered. Much of my day is given to thought about me. And if that's the meditation of my life, I am in danger of wasting many opportunities. And when they come, they'll surprise me. Romans 10, 15 says that we were made for this work. And how shall they... How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's who we're supposed to be. This is who we were made to be. By the foolishness of preaching we would be made beautiful in the sight of God. We have have to get the right mindset. Otherwise, acts is a complete waste. We can get so wrapped up in the exceptional nature of the story, right, that we can completely lose sight that the story is about men and women who chose to lay their lives down and be a window for Jesus Christ. So Paul's power of poisonous snakes had a purpose, just like the power of God's Holy Spirit has a purpose in you. Now let's talk about why healing, the purpose of healing. Now after Paul had revealed to have, to have supernatural ability, they then invited him to come and heal everybody. And look at how God, uses, uh, God continues to use these sign gifts to reveal his power. Verse 7, in the same quarters are, are possessions of the chief, chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us. And lodged uh, us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. So God uses Paul once again to reveal to these people who God was. And Paul was quite literally used to heal them. God used him to heal them. He would touch them and they would be healed. That's how it worked. Okay, now listen to me. As I said before, this gift of healing isn't in operation today. It is unique to certain men. And if it is in function today, then where are these healers? Where are they? They're certainly not at children's mercy healing all of those sick children. Because if that power, if someone had that power and they withheld it, I don't think there would be any more wicked person on the face of the earth, and then certainly God wouldn't give that person the gift of healing, correct? Are you with me? Are you with me in that logic? Where is the gift of healing? If it's not right now at every hospital in the city laying hands, Rather on, the, every person that claims to be a healer is, is, finds themselves on, what was it, TBN? Is that what they call that? Okay? It's a very, you know, 
healing people's short legs, right? Again, I want to say that. I'm saying this with great sobriety. Because even in Paul's life, we see that the gift of healing regressed over time. You know that, right? So this man, Paul, could heal. He had the power. He had the apostolic. But even among his friends, he didn't heal them all the time. Because you see in his life that the healing gift was receding, was regressing as time passed, as we got closer to the end of his ministry. Trophimus was left by Paul and Miletus to be cared for. Epaphroditus, who was sick to the point of death, he left Epaphroditus behind. Even his son in the faith, Timothy, was advised to take medicinal measures in order to relieve his illness. Well, why? Why would that be the case? Did Timothy not have enough faith to be healed? No, because Paul didn't, no longer had the gift. Now, today we recognize that healing does not come from a mystical act or the laying of hands. It comes through prayer. Healing, listen to me, healing has only ever been just an act of God. And his providence and his love and his mercy and grace, that's what healing has always been. So in the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, in the ministry of the apostles, it's always been an act of God. And he does it through men. Now today, guess what? He still wants to do that. God's power is no less. God's mercy is no less. His grace is no less. He wants to heal people. And he does that as we beseech him in prayer. I don't know how to explain it to you, but the Bible clearly describes for us that God has favor among his saints. And when his children call out to him, will not the Father respond? And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we come together and we pray to God, we have what we ask And I can tell you with absolute certainty that I've seen the the gift of healing function in the gift of prayer. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen people healed of issues of blood. I've I've seen people healed of many different things. I'm thinking most recently, a couple years ago, we were praying for, for Connor Bartlett, right, healed of cancer. Over a, a year and a half of struggle and, and, and difficulty, and the, the assumption by all the doctors is that this young man should die, and God healed him. God did a work. You know, a few weeks ago, we were praying for Wilmada's sister because she had an issue that she was struggling with, and she was very sick, and we prayed, and now she's on the mend. And I don't, I don't think any of that's just circumstantial. I believe that Jesus Christ works through the power of prayer. But with that same, uh, in, in that same breath, at the same time, it's critical that we acknowledge that God is no less powerful or loving when he chooses not to heal. See, there are times that we pray for healing and God's power and, and, and we pray for his love to be manifest. We, we pray for the, for the great physician to work and to, to heal our loved ones and our friends. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And this is one of the hardest meditations of the Christian life. That life and and love and healing and joy are not limited to survival. But those things are far better and far greater on the other side of eternity. And that when God takes the people that we love home, 
that it is no less grace and mercy and deliverance than if he healed them immediately. I, uh, I have prayer journals that I don't look back at from when I was probably 20, 21 years old. Prayer journals. And every night, I would pray to the Lord and capture it on a page. And I would say to the Lord, God, do whatever you need to do, but do not take the life of my brother, please. It's a bizarre prayer. But he was living a life that was... He was living on the street half the time. And he was drinking, and he was acting crazy, and I just knew, I just knew that in my family, that when people live that way, they don't live long. I lost my dad that way. I've lost many siblings, other siblings that way. And I begged the Lord night after night for years, Lord, just... Capture his heart and protect him. Do whatever you need to do, but don't take him. By the time I was 22, I lost my brother. And I, in those years, I often ask myself, I said to the Lord, Lord, you, you heard those prayers, right? And his response to me was yes. And I answered them the way I saw fit. And so I lost him. And God gained him. And God and I, God and I can both be satisfied in that. God and I can both be at peace with God doing exactly what he wants to do. And if that means bring his children home, so be it. That's the preferred thing. You understand? Well, we've got to reckon that. We've got to reckon that. That God knows best. And that when we pray, certainly, we can have greater surety that the way in which he answers those prayers are exactly the way that he wants and needs to do that. Because if he could have shown mercy on my brother and let him live, he would have done it. But there was something more needful, you understand? And so we have to understand that about healing. When we pray a prayer, we ask God anything, really, whether it's about healing or not. It's God's prerogative. It's God's prerogative to say yes, no, or not right now. And we have to trust our Father with that. And not our heads in agreement until our hearts are also in agreement. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's hard to feel what we think or to own what we want to believe. It takes time. But we have to agree with God. Right? And that leads us to key point number two. The point isn't in the healing. It's in, the, it's in, the, uh, the, it's in God's goodwill. It's in his pleasure. It's in his outcomes, the things that he wants to achieve, his objective. If the point is not using 
uh, is not us getting our heart's desire. If the point is not us getting our heart's desire or getting a favor from God, that's how we a lot of times approach God. We, I need a favor, God. I'm coming to you. I got, I got a, a favor to ask. If the point is in God's objectives and his will in this world, then that unlocks a whole other kind of prayer life for us. If we can get that, if we can understand that, it unlocks a whole different aspect and function of maturity in prayer. This begins to free us of the fact that the majority of our prayer life is about us. Ah, we can get free from that. There's nothing wrong with supplication over things in our life. But see, the bulk of our prayer life ought to be comprised of kingdom prayer. You know, Paul asks the the church in Colossae, hey, would you pray for me? You know, he, he asks for prayer from time to time, Paul, in his letters. But I want you to hear the way he asks for prayer. This is what he asks. He could ask for anything, couldn't he? Hey, you know, uh, Epaphroditus, he needs prayer. Will you pray for him? He's sick. Or would you pray for me? You know, Paul wasn't feeling real well. I don't know if you knew that. He wasn't feeling real well most of the time. He was, he was often sick. Something was holding him back physically. He doesn't ask for prayer for that. Listen to what he says. Can you continue in prayer? And watching the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Don't, don't, look, look, of all the prayers that I could ask you to pray for me, don't pray for my physical, temporal things. Pray for the eternal things, would you? And what Paul is showing for us is that that there's a whole other way of thinking and praying that exists outside of time and space. It goes beyond the temporal, and it goes into the eternal. And the majority of our prayer life ought to be a work for the kingdom because that brings God the most maximum amount of pleasure and joy possible. And that's how we ought to think. And that's how we ought to pray. And we ought to learn that. The concern is not with the state of his affairs. The concern is not on his health or safety. The prayer was, God, give me what you want. And that's souls. Give that to me. I want to be a part of that. I want to do it to your good pleasure. And so the question for us today is, are we concerned with his power being displayed? Are we? And you will know just how concerned you are for what God loves and what he wants based on the assessment of the content of your prayer life. So think for a second. How is it that I pray? How is it that I come before the Lord? And you can assess real quickly whether or not you're concerned about kingdom things or or temporal things based on the content of your prayer. Just take an assessment. You know. If you're like me, too often we are consumed with asking God for what we want. That's not how Paul was, and that's not how we should be either. Paul was used mightily to display the power of God in our, in our story. And Paul was faithful to being, you know, surrendered, to be yielded, that he might be a window of God's majesty. 
I really, you know, I, oftentimes our prayer, our, our praise service is so beautifully connected to the sermon. And I couldn't help but think about the songs that we sang and what, what Alex called us to consider was that if the, we're, we're not going to be a window to the glory of God, then we, then we, and we concede that. That the rocks themselves will be the window. See, if we don't do our job of proclaiming the gospel, if we don't do our job of declaring the name of Jesus Christ, listen to me, the creation will just do it. And in so doing, the creation will worship the Lord and point to Jesus Christ. And at the exact same time, mock us for failing to do the thing that we were called to do. One thing. One thing the Lord asked us to do. And creation itself mocks us in our failure to properly display who Jesus Christ is. Even now, do you not know that worship hums with the glory of God? That even right now, the ears of the Lord are receiving praise as the brooks and the rivers cry out. As the trees wave in his glory and worship to his name, they're doing it. They're doing the thing. You know, the, the earth is just as cursed as we are. Did you know that? And yet, despite, despite its curse, the, the creation is constantly obeying God at his very word. The wind moves wherever God tells it to go. And it's his glory. And yet here we are, Christians in 2021, and we've somehow found a way to make it about us. Listen, brothers and sisters, if Acts is about anything, it's about us beginning to recognize that our stuff is just not that important. And that we don't get to just be consumers in the family of God. But we have responsibility. We have responsibility to obey him and to surrender our lives and to yield to him that despite our circumstances and despite our situations and our trials and how hard our lives are, I bet you've never been shipwrecked and then bit by a viper. I bet. And if Paul didn't complain and if Paul found himself to only just be a testimony of God's glory, can we not be the same? I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to close in praise. And as we do so, I want to ask you the following thing. Go ahead and come up. Be swift about it. Um, Because I want to make sure that I communicate something. I want to communicate it very, very clearly. There are people in the room today that have failed to be a window. And you know that. And you recognize that there's things in your life that have been an impediment to the gospel. And if that's you, Christian, listen to me. Repent. Okay? Draw back the curtains, get out the Windex, and make Jesus Christ known in your life by the way that you yield to him.
by the way that you're intimate with him, by the way that you are discipled by him, by the way that you praise, by the way that you worship, by the way that you act, by the way that you speak, let him do that through you. Be what you were called to be. But there are also people in the room who stand at the window and you peer in. And you ask yourself the question, what's, what is within? If I look in this window, if I look in and I see through, what do I see on the other side? Well, I want to say this. First of all, it's dark outside. It's very, very dark. Is it not? Do you not recognize the darkness in our world? And when you peer in, you peer into that window, what you see is a light. And the light looks like this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world to know you, to live a perfect life, and to surrender himself to the cross. He gave his life for you. The very Son of God gave his life for you. And then rose again the third day that you might know him, that you might see him for all that he is, and that he might offer you a gift of salvation. And so when you look through the window, what you find is beauty and glory and forgiveness, and he wants to receive you. He he wants to wipe everything clean. He wants to make your life new. And if you recognize today that you do not yet Know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is the opportunity for you to come forward and to work that out so that you are no longer on the outside looking in, but you too can display the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the call today. And so I want to invite the counselors up. We're going to pray. And if you need to respond, do not hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. Get right before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we glory in you. And we recognize that you are good, that we are weak. We are weak vessels, and too often we're we're so focused on curb appeal that no one can see what lives inside. And that people drive by, and and they, they have no idea what's happening on the inside of us. They have no idea what happens for the Christian. They have no idea what it means to know you. They've never seen the light. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take our attention off of ourselves, that we, might, that we might, perhaps for the first time ever, die to ourselves, that we might mortify our, our flesh, that we might take on the mind of Christ, and that we might look like the servants that you made us to be, and that the proclamation of our life is that God is good, and I, and I am fearless in his presence. Lord, make that who we are. Make that the song of our life. And Lord, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that you would grapple with them right now. You'd grab hold of them and that they would recognize in their heart of hearts that they need a change, that they need forgiveness, that they need something that they've never had, and that's the peace of knowing you. And so, Lord, draw them to you. Draw all men to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, 
please visit our website at caya.live.com.